This morning's, this morning's reading is, begins in Mark chapter 4, verse 35, and can be found on page 1006, 1006 in the Church Bibles. Jesus calms the storm. That day, when evening came, he said to his disciples, Let us go over to the other side leaving the crowd behind. And they took him along, just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat, so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Be quiet, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, Why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. The healing of the demon-possessed man. They went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an evil spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain, for he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day, among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the Most High God? Swear to God that you won't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, Come out and this man of this man, you evil spirit. Then Jesus asked him, What is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send him out of, out of the area. A large herd of pigs were feeding on the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, Send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. He gave them permission and the evil spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the hill steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this to the town and the countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told all about the pigs as well. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him, but said, Go home to your family and tell them how much the Lord has done for you, and he has had mercy on you.
So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much, how much Jesus had done for him. And all the people were amazed. Thanks be to God. Thank you very much. Please do keep that reading open. Let's pray, shall we? Heavenly Father, as we come to focus our thoughts on Jesus in these passages, we pray uh, that he may walk off the pages uh, into our hearts and take up his rightful place. And we ask it in his name. Amen. Well, uh, here should be a picture uh, of the fourth plinth uh, in Trafalgar Square. It was originally uh, intended for a statue of the king, William IV. Uh, But unlike the other three big plinths in the square, uh, it remained empty for 160 years, in fact. Uh, But to mark the millennium, a temporary statue of Christ was placed on it. There it is. It's slightly unusual, isn't it? I don't know if you noticed what is odd about it. Uh, Unlike the other statues, the sculptor, uh, Mark Wallinger, deliberately made it disproportionately small for the large plinth uh, that it's set on. And he showed a simple man without a beard, with his head slightly bowed. And when people asked why uh, he made Christ like this, so small, uh, he said he wanted to emphasise his humanness, his vulnerability. He wanted to show that he was small and weak, just like one of us. Well, was Mark Wallinger accurate in his depiction of Jesus? As we started to focus on this question in Mark's Gospel, uh, we are seeing, aren't we, his human nature. He sleeps, he gets hungry, he has emotions. But we're also beginning to see something far, far more uh, about him. Just a quick recap of what's happened so far in Mark. Jesus has burst onto the scene and he's calling Israel to turn back to God, to turn from their sins because the king is here. He's been teaching, hasn't he, with amazing authority. He's been healing the sick and driving out evil spirits. But the leaders of Israel have rejected him. And so he's began in chapter 3, chapter 2 and chapter 3, to start to form a new Israel centred around his 12 apostles. And his focus now in these next few chapters is to teach his 12 apostles and also therefore to teach us. Remember these three key questions uh, from uh, Mark's Gospel that he's teaching them. Who is Jesus? Why did he come? What does it mean to follow him? All three are being taught throughout the Gospel, but today the focus is particularly on the first. And in the reading we saw, didn't we, Jesus demonstrating the most amazing power that we've seen yet in the Gospel. In fact, this week and next week we're going to see Jesus' power over these four things. The first two today uh, and then the next two next time. And they're all hopeless situations absolutely humanly hopeless. And as we consider how Jesus deals with them, uh, who is he? We're also going to consider the third question, how to respond to him. Well, the first incident then, the storm, 
incident. Here's a heading. Trust Jesus even in the storm. Well, here's another piece of art. It's Rembrandt and Jesus is in the middle uh, of the boat being woken up by his disciples. So, big question. Who is Jesus? Let's have a look at the end of Mark chapter 4. Verse 35. Evening has come. They get into a boat uh, and some others get into boats with them, the other disciples, and they go to cross the sea. Just a reminder of the geography. Uh, Here's Galilee in the north and the Sea of Galilee. Uh, And if we zoom in, then uh, Capernaum there, that's the sort of town that Jesus was based in, in Galilee. And they get in the boat and they cross over to the the other side, which is basically somewhere along this uh, coast. That's where they're heading. But as they sail, suddenly, verse 37, a furious squall arose and the waves begin breaking over the boat. And just a picture, actually, a photo of Galilee, uh, the Sea of Galilee. You can see that it's uh, the sort of hills around it. Uh, it's quite a shallow uh, lake, and I'm told it's perfect conditions for a storm. Uh, Mike uh, Stevenson was telling me he went to visit there, and it was so lovely and calm, he couldn't possibly imagine uh, a great storm, and then he was caught in one. Uh, and uh, the shallowness of the sea, apparently, uh, means that the waves can be particularly big. And verse 37 tells us that the situation is desperate. The furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? Well, these are experienced sailors uh, and they think they're going to drown as the water fills the boat. So it's a desperate situation. But consider Jesus... A little eyewitness detail from Mark. He's asleep on a cushion. He, in the midst of all this chaos, is completely calm. And I suppose you're thinking, how can he sleep in the midst of this storm? I would suggest it's not really normally humanly possible uh, to do that. Well, these disciples, uh, they go to wake him up. They know he's a teacher. Uh, They recognise his authority. But does he care? Well, verse... 38. He got up and with these simple words rebuked the wind and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down and it was completely calm. He doesn't make any appeal to a higher authority like an Old Testament prophet. It's simply by his own command, just simple words, and a double miracle happens. Did you see it was a double miracle? Jesus does two things. He stops the wind, which is the cause of the storm, and he calms the waves, which are the result uh, of the wind. Normally it would take several hours or even days for the surface of a sea to calm after a severe storm because of the swell that's built up. But Jesus calms these waves instantly. I wonder if you ever, have you ever tried to tell the waves to be calm? I confess that I did try that once on holiday uh, with some big waves. There was nobody around, uh, so I thought I'd have a go at shouting at them um, before you send for the psychiatrist. Uh, um, it was, uh, I, I knew I was playing a game. Of course, it was co- I was completely powerless uh, to do that. In fact, uh, you know, we can't even stop the water sloshing back and forth in a bath uh, with our words. We are completely powerless, aren't we? So do you see what we're being presented with? Jesus, 
not only has authority over people and sickness, as we've seen so far, here he speaks and the forces of nature respond instantly. And I think if you were a disciple in that boat, you would also have in your mind some of those famous Old Testament incidents. Think of Jonah and the way God brought a storm with great power uh, and then stilled that storm in the book of Jonah. Or Psalm 107 puts it like this. It describes sailors crying out to God in a storm. I won't read all of it, but just a little bit. Verse 28. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble and he brought them out of their distress. He stilled the storm to a whisper. The waves of the sea were hushed. They were glad when it grew calm and he guided them to their desired haven. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for men. Jesus is doing what only God can do. He said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Well, they ought to know, but they're quite slow. It's interesting how Mark is so unflattering uh, of his disciples. It's a mark, isn't it? That it uh, a ring of truth, isn't it? And he wouldn't make it up. Uh, they were frightened of the sea, but now they're even more frightened of their teacher. Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Well, how shall we respond to this person? In fear? Or in faith. Jesus rebukes them because they doubted his care for them. They were afraid of the sea. But if they'd really grasped who he was, the creator, uh, then they wouldn't fear his creation when he's in the boat with them all along. Even though he has, if you like, deliberately waited and delayed showing his power. Well, what about us? How shall we respond to Jesus? In fear or faith? In the storms of life, will we fear them and what could happen to us? Or will we fear Jesus because he is so much more powerful? And if we fear him, which we should, will we not also see that he cares? And when we see that the most powerful one cares, the fear, the right fear, will not be a terror, but an awe and a wonder that leads to trust in him. Fear of God should lead us to put our trust in him. Not just because he's the all-powerful, but because he cares. Well, here's the first lesson for the disciples. Trust Jesus, even in the storm. And now the second one. Trust Jesus, who is Lord over evil. Um, Here's a third piece of art. Getting lots of art today. Uh, This is something from the Middle Ages. I don't know who it's by, but Jesus is seen there driving out an evil spirit. Let's have a look at the situation in chapter 5. We've come to the other side of the sea, uh, to the region called the Gerasenes. Uh, Here we are. We're somewhere on this coast. Uh, Not quite sure exactly where. In fact, I've got a photo to show, kind of high aerial photo looking east. And you can see, can't you, there's a plateau and steep sides uh, coming down uh, to the sea, which is what we, we get in Mark's uh, account. In Jesus' day, this, this region was called the Decapolis, uh, and it was mostly a Gentile 
uh, rather than the Jewish region. And of course, that makes sense because you've got a herd of pigs, which wouldn't happen uh, if it was lots of Jews there. So the big question again we're considering, who is Jesus? Let's read a bit from verse 2. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an evil spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons from his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Well, as we've seen so far in Mark, with Jesus around, the evil spirits are uniquely displayed for everyone to see. At no other time in history have the unseen powers of evil been so obvious. Well, if you want a good summary of why and what these powers are, I would refer you, because we haven't got time, uh, to the sermon section of our website. Clive did an excellent explanation uh, on January the 18th uh, in the second half of Mark chapter 1. But here again, uh, in chapter 5, we, we get another terrible situation, another hopeless situation. This man is being slowly destroyed by evil. He even lives amongst the tombs, the place of the dead. It's a hopeless situation we're meant to see. And it's an example of what Jesus said in chapter 3, of what it is like to be bound by Satan. Uh, and he spoke there of an even stronger man coming along uh, to unbind Satan. It's a hopeless situation. It, it, three times it says, actually, that the people could not subdue him. But now, someone stronger is here. And what Jesus does is, again, a miracle that is cosmic uh, in its scale. Here, there's not just one evil spirit, but a whole legion. There were 6,000 men in a Roman legion. We're meant to understand a horde uh, of evil spirits. Modern science has made massive progress, hasn't it, in subduing all kinds of powers. But it's, n- it's never been able to subdue the power of great storms uh, or the forces of evil at work among people. Both are beyond human control. But look at Jesus. Verse 6. When the Spirit saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? Again, at this stage in Mark's Gospel, uh, it's the evil spirits uh, who know who Jesus is. And he says, Swear to God that you won't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, Come out of this man, you evil spirit. Then Jesus asked him, What is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. Well, here's my uh, fourth and final piece of art. (laughs) It's a picture from a Lego brick uh, Bible. And uh, we see, don't we, Jesus uh, in absolute power. The demon is allowed to negotiate, but it's obvious uh, who's in charge. Uh, They beg him to let them go into a herd of pigs and Jesus gives them permission. And as soon as they enter them, they drive the pigs down the bank into the sea and kill them. Now, I don't know what you think as you read that. Uh, This is something that has often disturbed uh, and puzzled me. It seems cruel, doesn't it? It seems a waste. Couldn't Jesus have displayed his power in another way? But let's think for a moment. What does the death of these pigs show? Uh, Two things. First, 
it shows the strength of the opposition to Jesus, that Jesus has effortlessly shown his power over. These spirits are disturbing uh, in their power. But secondly, we don't just see their power, we see their nature, don't we? They are murderous. They've been slowly destroying this man. And now we see what they're like when Jesus gives them permission to enter the pigs. They, they kill the pigs in a physical sense. And it tells us, I think, what they want to do to us in a spiritual sense. The devil wants to drown us eternally. He wants to send us to hell. But Jesus doesn't want us to drown eternally. Any more than he didn't want the disciples to drown uh, when they were in the boat. Now this section is not about Jesus' attitude to animals, it's about the devil's attitude to people. And Jesus, in his wisdom, thought it more important to permit this terrible thing to happen to the pigs because he wants us uh, to see that the devil would do something far worse to us. He wants to teach us so that we may believe in him and be saved from hell. So how should we respond? Well, how do the people of the Gerasenes respond? They were, I'm sure, afraid uh, of the demon-possessed man. But now, look at verse 15. They're much more afraid of Jesus. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. We saw, didn't we, in the first incident that fear of Jesus is a a right response, an understandable response. But Jesus here, I think, makes clear that uh, fear of him needs to also be married with knowing that he cares. A fear that leads to faith, a trust in him. That's how he wants us to respond. But their fear turns to unbelief. 17. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. Do you see, they're a little bit like the Jewish leaders. They've seen Jesus' power, but they don't like it. Uh, That's the thing, you see. Seeing his power uh, and uh, fearing him can either lead us to faith uh, or it can lead us to wanting him to go away, wanting to hide from him. And Jesus does what they ask, doesn't he? And uh, that should be a warning to us. If we tell Jesus to get lost... We should not be surprised if he does indeed depart from us. But, whereas the the first story doesn't kind of end positively, the second one ends with a man who does respond in faith, whose fear does lead to trust. The formerly possessed man now begs Jesus to go with him. And surprisingly, given how Jesus has responded to people so far, he doesn't let him Rather, he sends him to his family to tell them what the Lord has done. And I think this is where the Gentile region comes in. This, in this pig-keeping, uh, non-Jewish area east of the sea, there's no risk of a false Messiah movement uh, happening. And so unlike before, Jesus doesn't need him to keep quiet. And in fact, Jesus uses this as an opportunity uh, for news about him to spread and an opportunity to illustrate to the disciples how things are going to be for them once he's gone. They, and we, are called to go into a hostile environment and share the good news of the Lord and what he's done for us. And it's a mark of the man's true faith that he does go and tell. And he doesn't just go to his family, 
verse 20, he goes and tells everyone in the Decapolis how much Jesus has done. He models for us what our faith should lead us to. So, second incident. Trust Jesus, who is Lord over evil. In conclusion... I think we see in these two incidents some really big similarities, don't we? They're two hopeless situations. Only God can save from them. Uh, Two times, Mark gives us lots and lots of little eyewitness details to show that they really were miracles that happened. And both times we see, don't we, challenges to responding in faith. First, Jesus is asleep. Uh, And second, we see Jesus rejected by the people. And both times we see, don't we, uh, the response of fear to Jesus. But both times, Jesus is calling us to respond in faith. So, how will we respond? Will we fear the problems in this world more, or will we fear God more? Natural disasters are frighteningly destructive. Thankfully, in this part of the world, they're rare. But they can still happen. Think of those floods in Buckskin last year or so. Let alone the hurricanes that strike in places like North America. And also, it's not just natural evil. There's so much human evil in the world, isn't there? Just think of those Russian bombers flying past our coasts. It's frightening, isn't it? Uh, Or think of the Islamists in our midst arrested this week or last week for plotting killing. But Mark tells us Jesus is totally in charge of all of these things. He's not just a man. He is also God. And he cares. And so the right response is to trust Jesus, even in the storm, and to trust Jesus, who is Lord over evil. Well, let's have a moment of quiet, and then we'll take the chance to pray and to exercise trust in him. Father, we praise you and thank you that you sent Jesus into our world, that you show us who he is, that uh, we may not just fear We do pray that we will rightly be in awe and wonder of him, but also that we will trust him for his care for us and find that uh, because of that we can have assurance uh, of heaven rather than hell, assurance of deliverance from evil. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.